communication and listening to the experience of autistic people and autistic families is the biggest thing in bringing down barriers. I think um, just being able to understand the difficulties and the specific things. And I think it's very important for people to know that you know there is that old adage of if you've met one autistic person, you've met one autistic person mm. because the needs are so diverse. Welcome to Independence, the FIEC podcast. Uh, my name's Phil Topham, Executive Director of FIEC, and I am absolutely delighted to be joined today by Sophie Killingley. Hello, Sophie. Hi. Uh, Sophie, tell us a bit about you. Where are you in ministry? Just give us a bit of an introduction. Yeah, cool. So I am a pastor's wife. My husband is a pastor of a church in Surrey. So Sand Evangelical Church. Which On the is, edge of Woking. Yep, it's kind of between Woking and Guildford. Mm. Um, so yeah, so we're part of the FIEC. Um, I'm also a freelance artist and I have two kids who are both autistic. Ah, now that's interesting because that's what we're going to talk about on the mm. podcast today, isn't it? We're going to yeah. talk a bit about what it means to uh, for churches to be welcoming uh, autistic people and how we can think more wisely uh, uh, about that. Um, just tell us a bit about your setting uh, in Woking. So what, what's the church like? Um, obviously, you're, you've got two kids uh, mm -hmm. who are autistic, but what, what's the wider church kind of like? What's your your setting? Yeah, um, so Send is quite, um, I mean, it's Surrey, so obviously Surrey's quite affluent, mm. but um, we... I think there's a lot of people who live in Send who have just been there for many, many years. Um, it's very expensive now, so people can't easily move there. Uh, we do have a couple of council estates as well. And I think our church is pretty representative of all types. We have so many different kind of professions within the church um, from um, geologists and geophysicists mm. and teachers to window cleaners and, um, you know, parish clerks and all sorts so it's you know quite diverse and the age range again it's from babies through to grandparents so. and are your kids the only uh, autistic people in the church or are there others as well and there are some other people as well um yes one of our elders has an autistic uh, child or young person adult now mm. so yeah there are other autistic people in the church so we want to dive into that a little bit. Can I can I just start with some terminologies? Yeah. What what, what do we mean when we talk about autism? Mm -hmm. So autism, it's um well you need to hit a specific diagnostic criteria to to be diagnosed autistic. It's kind of um they talk about a triad of impairments. Um, it talks about social skills. Um, often it comes with sensory processing disorders. Um, and yeah, kind of a lot of rigid thinking or uh, literal thinking. Um, I think a lot of people would say, oh, I'm, I'm a bit like that. Um, and I think it's true that a lot of us have autistic traits, mm. but I think it, when it becomes like um, quite life impacting, that's when you go seek out a diagnosis and kind of get that sorted. How, how do you define then life life impacting? Because we, we do hear mm. people say that, oh, pe people, almost, they almost joke about it, don't they? I'm a little bit on the spectrum. Yeah, that, that's, exactly. That's got to be firstly unhelpful. Very. <laughs> but, but, but secondly, like, like how, how does it, how, how do you get a, a diagnosis? What, what, what happens yeah. there? Well, it's best to kind of go to a, a GP and ask for a referral. For both of my children, because they were young, it was requesting a referral to a paediatrician. And it was because it was life impacting. It wasn't just, oh, they're a bit quirky, a bit funny. Mm. Um, they were, yeah, it was really impacting. So my son, 
he was diagnosed age three and it was very apparent very quickly um, that he was probably on the spectrum because he had like huge abilities in certain areas, um, such as the ability to know the alphabet, count to 100, um, to reel off huge amounts of um, dialogue from his favourite cartoons. But he didn't really understand the basics of language. So I'd ask him, do you want a yoghurt? And he would just parrot back to me, do you want a yoghurt? Mm. Um, didn't give you the answer you were no, looking he, for. No, he didn't really mm. understand there was an answer. He would yeah. just parrot yeah. back. And that, that's known as echolalia. Okay. Um, and then uh, with my daughter, she was a little older. And often you find that girls are older um, when they're diagnosed because, not that I want to generalise, but girls tend to have better emotional intelligence. <laughs> I don't think that's just undoubtedly true. I, I don't think anybody would disagree with that so sentiment. Girls tend to be able to mimic their peers at an earlier age and kind of mask mm. and copy. But then when it gets to around the age of like maybe nine or ten, Social dynamics change quite rapidly in girls and they can't, um, we found with our, our daughter, she couldn't kind of keep up with the kind of hierarchies that are suddenly developing and what's cool and the kind of unspoken social yeah. stuff. So that's when we began to see huge amounts of anxiety within her and her sensory processing disorder really kind of um, stepped up a notch due to the anxiety. It's quite linked. So so you've got this family dynamic going on mm -hmm. where, where you, you, your husband's a pastor. Yeah. Um, you're obviously caught up in all of church life as a pastor's wife and serving in, in, in your own ministry there. You've got two uh, autistic kids. Mm -hmm. How does that immediately impact church life for you as a, as a family? Yeah, um, it's difficult. Um, ministry life, you always expect, um, as with any job, there's going to be challenges and it's going to be difficult. But I think a lot of us would then hope you go home and you kind of let go of it. Yeah, let go. Um, but home is um, challenging too. I mean, it's it's wonderful, but also really challenging um, because my kids have very like divergent needs, especially when it comes to sensory processing disorder. So one of them is hypersensitive, so literally cannot cope with the feel of certain fabrics, such as a school tie. And that is not just like, oh, I don't like it. Oh, that goes through me. It's It will cause flinching, crying. Mm. Um, huge anxiety and upset. Um, but one of them is hyposensitive. So very sensory seeking, doesn't receive enough stimulation. Mm. So we'll watch TV hanging upside down by their ankles. Mm. Um, you know. I mean, it's the best way to watch some shows. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's that. So, so straight away, you have these kind of differing needs and tensions within the household. It's huge. Um, they both find um, social interaction very tiring. So again, that impacts us immediately as a ministry family because once they've got through a church service on a Sunday, that is a huge challenge for them to just get through that. So we can't have people then back to the house yeah. to then do the usual like hospitality that people might expect. It's just not going to work. It would be really detrimental to the kids. They wouldn't be able to cope and we don't feel that would be fair to them. But you have to then deal with the kind of guilt of that mm. um, as a, a family in ministry wanting to connect with your church family and so, you have to find different ways. Can I just press on that for a minute then? Because yeah. that seems key to me. If you're a ministry family mm. with these kind of challenges on a day-to-day -day basis, how do you shed some of that guilt that you absolutely shouldn't be feeling because you can't do ministry in the same way uh, 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 as other families might be able to? Yeah. How do you, how do you process that? How do you deal with that? Um, it's constant kind of reminding ourselves of certain truths. 
Um, I think one thing is to really stop comparing. I think many of us suffer with this kind of comparison. So often we'll be like, oh, I wish we could. And then we're like, well, no, we have autistic children. That isn't going to be possible for us. And that's okay. Mm. It would be wrong to try and force that. And that would cause more issues. So trying to kind of let go of that comparison, trying to keep our expectations at um, a good level. So not trying to kind of envisage the family we kind of think we should be, but actually look at the family we are and what can we do and what can we not do? So it's just trying to kind of, yeah, be compassionate with ourselves in that sense, but it's challenging. It's, you know, constant reminders, both my husband Pete and I have to constantly kind of cheer each other on in that sense, um, saying, you know, it's okay. We'll find something else. And I guess the church must support you in that, or you wouldn't have been there for the number of years you've been there, there, I guess. So what kind of things are in place at Send to help you uh, as a as a family of autistic, mm-hmm. with autistic children, rather than as a ministry family, yeah. if you see what I mean? What's in place? I mean, I think one thing which is really important is that um, my husband, as part of our church, we really encourage every member ministry so it's not all on the pastor to be hosting the different families that come in or getting to know every single person. Um, you know, my husband will always connect with new people as they come in at the church itself and always be chatting, hand out his number. We'll want to connect with them later on. Um, but when it comes to kind of that hospitality in the home, other people step in, other people do that. And actually, we've got a really great culture of um everybody kind of looking out for new people and inviting them around because that's not something we can do. So simple things like that, I think every member ministry is important. And what kind of things um, do you do as a church to serve your kids? You mm. mentioned the other kind of young adult who is yeah. autistic. How Are there things in place, things you've put in place? What, what yeah. do they look like? Well, there's been a couple of small things. Um, and again, Uh, This is because we're a a fairly small church in terms of, you know, it's kind of family, kind of small church. So when we started, obviously uh, my children were a lot younger, but when we started, um, my son couldn't really stay in his seat. He was just up and constantly running around, um, couldn't kind of focus and found church overwhelming and overstimulating. And a really simple thing that our AV team did, because they knew his like dinosaurs were his special interest, mm. they actually programmed just little dinosaurs uh, every few minute intervals to run across the screen. That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> so when we were waiting and they're like, the notices would be showing and I was trying to have conversations and he'd always make a beeline straight for the car park and I'd be like, ah, come back. Um, so then suddenly he sat in his seat excitedly waiting for the next dinosaur to show up. So- and a, a T-Rex just makes its way across the <laughs> exactly. screen. Exactly. <laughs> So it was really, really great. I mean, obviously that's not appropriate for everybody in every setting, but for us, they took the time. They're like, what really is his interest? And let's try and get a way for him to stay in the service as long as possible. So things like that. Other things I think are just people talk to me Mm. and ask, you know, how are things? How, um, yeah, how are things showing up? for your kids at the moment, what kind of issues are they facing? So a lot- is that an embarrassing question for you as a, as a mum of autistic children? No, it's, it's lovely. Um, and a relief when people ask me questions in good faith, I welcome it so much because a lot of the time when you're facing quite unique pressures, it feels very isolating. 
and lonely and just to have somebody asking a question like oh what's happening right now um what are, what are they struggling with what's going well it's just lovely to be able to share that um so a lot of the time it's just people asking what's happening and then accepting the answers that i give i think that's very <laughs> just expand on that a little bit what, what what do you what do you mean by that um often it's very difficult for people who have no experience of autism to just um see the outward behavior and think oh it's just a bratty kid mm. or oh we didn't have autism in my day that's just bad parenting it's um, been invented yes yeah. exactly um so it's yeah it's very easy for people to see an hour's snapshot of our life on sunday and especially when the kids were smaller and just see a bit of chaos and be like, oh, they're just terrible parents. Um, so <laughs> understanding that actually a lot of this is driven by very specific um, sensory processing needs or anxiety, um, it really helps um, for people just to be able to accept that and to not demand more than the kids can give. So they're very accepting of the fact that um one of my kids really struggles to sit through a service. It's very demanding in terms of the noise and um, the singing. Um, so she actually just wears her ear defenders. She mm. has her hood up on her hoodie. Now, just to look at her, you might think that's just a grumpy teenager mm. and they should make her stand up during the singing. But no, actually, she wants to be there. She longs to be there. She just finds it very hard, and very challenging. Mm. And the way she can access it is just to have her headphones on kind of be focused in her own world. She'll look at the words on the screen, think about them. She won't sing, mm. you know? Um, and for people to be able to accept that and be like, okay, so we're not going to make her kind of do this. She's accessing it in her own way. It's really helpful for me as a parent to know that people aren't looking and judging, but they're actually understanding this is the best way for her to access it. This means she can be here. I wanted to ask you about breaking down barriers, and that's mm. that's one example of that, isn't it? What what other things can churches do to to, to break down some of the? They might even be unseen, but they're probably mm. there. That the barriers that exist when you know there are there are autistic autistic people in church, or there are parents with autistic children. What kind of things can churches do? Mm. I think always it's the biggest thing is communication. Um, to be able to talk to the parents, to be able to talk to the autistic people um, and to ask questions, um, you know, ask questions in good faith. Most parents are delighted to be able to talk to you about their child or most autistic people are quite happy to give you answers about what it is they're thinking or struggling with. Obviously, I can't speak for everybody. But um, in general, I think communication and listening to the experience of autistic people and autistic families is the biggest thing in bringing down barriers. I think um, just being able to understand the difficulties and the specific things. And I think it's very important for people to know that you know there is that old adage of if you've met one autistic person, you've met one autistic person mm. because the needs are so diverse and people tend to think of autism as on a spectrum, as being not very autistic and very autistic. And actually, I think I've heard it described quite helpfully as almost like a, a mixing desk, right. a sound desk. Yeah. 
and the dials are turned up to different levels for different things. So some people could be really fine with social engagement and social skills, but their sensory processing, they might really, really struggle with. Mm. Um, you know, our anxiety is very high, but the ability to do this is actually okay. And so it's just very different. And I see that with my own children very different abilities. And so every family is going to experience it slightly differently. Uh, you, you mentioned uh, to me before we were recording that both your kids are in mainstream schools. Mm-hmm. If you think of church like that, mainstream church, if, yes. I, if I can put it like that, <laughs> if, if, if I'm a busy pastor listening to yeah. this, what, what simple things could, could I do? Could my eldership do mm. to help me think about being welcoming to, to mm. families uh, that in your circumstances or, or, or just setting things up so yeah. that some of those barriers are, are, are broken down. Are there any kind of simple things? Yeah, absolutely. And again, I don't think there's any like massive silver bullets other than approaching families, talking to them, mm. listening to their experiences. But there also could be some other useful things you could utilise from within your congregation. Like, for example, do you have teachers in part of your congregation and they do they have SEN experience? If, SEN being? Special educational needs. So um, if they have that Zen experience, then they might be able to tell you a little bit about what that looks like for them in the classroom. And they might be able to um, put that into practice. So again, for example, we were very blessed to have some teachers with Zen experience in our school. So when it came for my son to join the Sunday school, um, they were very... um, knowledgeable about the fact that actually he's probably not going to be able to kind of sit down during circle time but we also don't want him to distract and be like really um distracting to the other children we want him to be happy and included but he doesn't have to kind of um be able to fit the rigid kind of ways of which we do it so one of the things they did was again gave him a little bowl of dinosaurs (laughs) so when it was story time he would actually be listening but he just needed to fiddle and keep his hands busy Mm -hmm. so he'd take his little bowl into the corner be very happy playing away um, while the other kids sat in, in rows or in a circle. And then he'd come and join them for craft time. And they said whenever they asked him the questions, he'd actually been paying attention, but he was just able to kind of access it because he was able to kind of fiddle and keep busy mm. during that time. So yeah, if there's people with any kind of sen experience in your church, teachers or in the healthcare um, business, um, mm. then yeah, utilize them, talk to them, ask them questions. So I think pastors can, you know, use experience because pastors cannot be expected to know everything Mm. um, or to fix everything. Um, And I think that's very important for them to know that, you know, you're not expected to fix the issues of all autistic um, families and parents in a church. Um, And we as parents um, and families cannot expect our pastor to know and fix everything. But what we can and we should expect from each other is good communication, is to be talking. We should be expecting to care for one another and go, well, so what is the issue? What can I do to help? You know, so I think that's really important. So we've talked about some things you could do in, in your own church right now. Yeah. Just just let me broaden that slightly. Say you're on holiday as a family mm-hmm. and you're looking for a place to worship on a Sunday. Is that a massively stressful thing that you don't go anywhere near or, or so, so what I'm thinking is yeah. if, if, a, if a family turn up at church for the first time, yeah. even if they're not on holiday, but they're looking for a place that to, to worship, what, 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 yeah. what would you expect as a family? What can churches do? Absolutely. And again, that will be depending on the family. Sometimes if we're going through a particular time of anxiety with our kids because of new circumstances on their kind of 
buckets are full in that sense. We can't take any new things on. Then we will just do an online church mm. um, and that's okay. But sometimes when we'll go to a church, I think what is always helpful or if someone visits us is to be able to point them to a space, a quiet space. I mean, some places have a creche. I know that's not available in all churches, but um, if it's possible to be able to say, if your kids are finding it hard, here's a space to be able to go to. Um, and it's usually helpful if you can have like the meeting relayed through there. We have a church hall, um, which is next to our building. Um, and we always have the service relayed in there on a screen and audio. So if people need to exit with young children or autistic people, then they can, but they're still kind of part of the service. They're not completely like abandoned in a room they can kind of participate but in a way that is kind of slightly less formal for them so mm. yeah there's things like that i think that's also something i guess for the welcome team the people on the, the door of church mm. as well to, to just be able to to help when people first turn up yeah absolutely um and i think again um not to be embarrassed to ask questions would so you offer that when you arrive at a church as a Mum of autistic kids, would you, I, you would I generally would. Uh, I mean, this is me, but uh, generally I would say both our kids are autistic, so we may need to exit at some point or um, Sunday school. Uh, we can't just expect them to kind of get up and leave in the middle of service. Could you show us first where the room is? So generally, um, again, it's a generalisation, but autistic people often like to kind of have a structure, a schedule. They like to know what they're looking for and what they're going to be doing. The unknown is extremely anxiety uh, ridden for them. So often we would turn up slightly early um, to a, a new church if we're on holiday and we decided to brave it. Mm. <laughs> We'd say, can you show us where the Sunday school room is? Or can you show us... Um, like what the hall set out is so we can just take our kids in and be like, this is where we're going to sit. And if we need to go out, that's the door. Mm. Um, you know, things like that. Well, outside of serv services themselves, mm -hmm. what does pastoral care look like uh, for, for autistic people? How should churches be thinking about that? And if you're thinking about children specifically, how does that mm -hmm. impact on the youth and children's work that a church does, for example, outside yeah. of the kind of Sunday gathering? Yeah. So, um, Again, I suppose with uh, children's work, if you're thinking about kids ministries, again, um, there's probably always going to be um, some autistic people showing up at your kids work. Um, so I, again, would make sure that you're at least talking to um, the families about what their kids needs are. You may not be able to cater for everything, but for them to feel heard and like you're actually going to try and understand at least where their kids coming from, that really helps. Um, and again, trying to utilise people in church who have any experience, kind of thinking, OK, so we've got this new family turned up and they've got an autistic kid who'd like to come to this group. Um, they might struggle with some of the games because it's a bit too loud or something. Um, have you any ideas what we could do? And just to be able to kind of normalise what an autistic person might do in those circumstances, mm. to know it's not weird that actually they find it way too difficult to kind of join in with like the hyped up crazy kids screaming and they're actually going to need to just put their ear defenders on and go and sit in a corner for a little while. And that's okay. It's yeah. not weird or like rude. It's just that's going to how they're going to self-regulate and that's okay. And what about pastoral care more, more widely? Mm. So, um, you know, we, we think we know pastoral care, what it looks like mm. um, generally. How should it look in circumstances of with, with autism? Again, I think vastly the same in a lot of ways. Um, 
again, it's just going to depend on talking to the person um, and kind of collaborating with them, asking them how they are. I mean, if you're going to meet one-on-one and do um, Bible study, um, yeah, just talk to them, get to know them a little bit. Um, Yeah, so I don't think there's going to be that much difference Mm. other than just kind of making sure that you're kind of in conversation with them so that you can know that certain things are going to be difficult for them or if they've had a spit, you know, particularly stressful day, they may need just some time just to kind of chill out before they dive into a Bible study or they may need to be quiet for a little while. Just normal conversation, I think, asking mm. questions, listening. So we've talked about all the kind of positive things we can do. And mm. um, I, I guess the next question obviously is what are some of the pitfalls? What, what should churches, church leaders absolutely avoid and how can you help us to kind of understand that so that we don't make those mistakes, which will probably be done innocently and, and without meaning to cause any offence? But but actually, we, we we do misstep, don't we? So so what are some of those things that, that we can avoid? Yeah, I think, again, it's really important to talk to parents and not offer your hot take on the latest article you may or may not have read. For example, what, what have you heard? Um, so um, I've heard, oh, are you sure your kid's autistic? They don't look autistic. Oh. Um, I'm like, I don't really know what an autistic person should look like. Mm. But yeah, so things like they don't look autistic or, oh, they're not that autistic, aren't they? Or are they? You know, so it's kind of implying that there's some kind of worse form of autism that they don't have. Mm. Um, so it's kind of misunderstanding like that. Um, yeah. What, what about c- making comparisons? So when you talk about things that your kids have been doing and mm. then uh, other parents try and relate that to their own children. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of that. And again, you can be talking about your child on a specific anxiety or issue. And often people very well-meaningly, they want to try and connect with you. So they'll be like, oh yeah, that was exactly the same with us when our kid was that age. And you're Um, thinking it wasn't. Yes, exactly. And like, yeah, they may have had a similar experience, but generally with autism, um, these things are so much more life impacting um, and challenging and really isolating. So um, although people are, are trying to connect with you, often it can feel minimizing when they're just like, oh yeah, we have that all the time. Oh, they'll grow out of it or whatever. And I'm like, actually, this is a, a lifelong thing. And then there may be some kind of maturing, which kind of makes certain issues easier, but this is a lifelong experience for them. It's a lifelong neurological condition. So certain things won't change for them. Certain things are always going to be challenging. So yeah, so to be able to have people acknowledge that actually this is really hard for them and for you, rather than just being like, oh yeah, no, this is, oh, that's normal. And it's okay for you to hear that. I'm sorry that's so difficult. Yes. You don't have to give a a kind of a, an answer or a solution. No, absolutely. I think that's really important. So yeah, people don't need to kind of, um, yeah, give a solution. They don't need to try and make me feel better. Mm. I think some people feel awkward if I express that I'm struggling or the children are struggling in some way and they want to make it better. But actually what makes it better is to feel that you've heard me, that you're, you're understanding. This is actually really challenging. This isn't like parenting a neurotypical child. This is actually significantly different. And I'm sorry, you know, that's difficult. Uh, is there any clumsy language that that people might use that we could just be made aware of so that mm. we, we we don't be as clumsy? Yeah. I mean, a lot of the time, I think 
um, from my reading and from what I've read about um, autistic people who are self-advocating, they do prefer to be known as autistic people rather than a person with autism. Oh, and why, why is that especially? Um, I think often uh, they want to have that identity first language of autistic person because uh, if you say you're with autism, it's kind of almost sounds like a disease or something that they can be separated from or mm. cured from. Whereas actually it's just, it's a neurological issue. It's just part of them. It's who they are. So to say autistic person, um, I know, I think it used to have more of a stigma to it, but I think people are just wanting to say, oh, I'm autistic and that's just who I am and that's that's okay. So I don't think we need to worry about that. Um, yeah, I've often helped people. Um, people have been awkward about how do I approach talking about your children? And I've said, you know, if you want to say um, special needs, you can. I mean, I personally prefer additional needs I don't think their needs are special. <laughs> They're yeah. just additional yeah. to what a neurotypical child might kind of experience. So things like that, additional needs are helpful and um, yeah, autistic rather than person with autism. What I'm hearing is it, it's good not to tiptoe around things and actually just be a bit more direct. And it Absolutely. comes back to the communication thing. Is that, yeah. is that fair? Absolutely. Yeah. I think just communicating, being curious and uh, any questions which are in good faith, mm. I really welcome. I think it's when... People are just uh, kind of, yeah, clumsy or want to give you a hot take that it kind of gets awkward and a bit painful. But if they're genuinely curious and want to kind of know how best do I engage with you on this, then that's fantastic. Do you have any other examples of good practice as we sort of come into land uh, in this episode, Sophie? You've talked about a lot of things churches might think about what they might do. Mm. Have you seen some great examples of, of good practice that you've just thought, oh, mm. be great if churches really embraced uh, a, a bit more of this? Yeah, again, I think it comes down to the communication and just normalising what autistic behaviour can look like. So not being freaked out if, um, you know, uh, an autistic person in your church isn't standing and singing with vigor that you might expect from your congregation that they're actually just kind of sat there and they may look a little rigid because they might be finding it hard to cope with not to kind of freak out or just to be a bit judgy just to be like okay that's that's what's going on for them and you'd even ask them oh mm. is that a difficult time for you is that a tricky moment when we're all singing um so yeah i think kind of again, communicating so you understand what autistic behaviour may look like, um, giving them space. I think often autistic people um, can often find that their processing time when they're hearing and responding can be a little slower than a neurotypical person. So not bombarding them with questions often, like one question at a time, mm. um, I think. Often people are very, very sweet and want to talk to my kids but they'll kind of fire off a whole bunch of questions. Hi, how are you doing? How was that? Wasn't that really great today? What did you think of the story? Too much. Uh, too much. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. just one question at a time, just let them process that. And if they're slow to respond, it's not that they're being rude. They're just taking time to process it. Because um, they want to answer the question they, well. They want to answer yeah. the question well. It, it, you know, it matters mm. to them. They like details. They like to get the details correct. So you know, just being able to understand that that's what's happening. They're not, you know, ignoring you or being mm. rude. Mm. And also, um, very crucially, I think, is also around the idea of eye contact. Mm. So um, often with autistic people, especially with my kids, um, you can have their attention and you can talk with them 
um, and you can have eye contact, but you may not have all three at once. So sometimes Hmm. my daughter will not be looking at you because she's processing. Now, to some people that might be, well, look at me in the eye. Mm. That's, that's rude. Actually, she's putting her kind of processing into listening and thinking about a response. So don't worry that they're not looking at you. Don't interpret that as a sign of rudeness, but just understand that for some autistic people, eye contact is difficult. And so, yeah, if they're going to be able to answer your questions, then that's not going to happen, but that's okay. Well, Sophie, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. In half an hour, we can only really scratch the surface. But just before we finish, are there any resources that we could link in the bottom that people would particularly be able to look at to get more information and help them? Yeah, um, I think... The, the Life You Never Expected by Andrew and Rachel Wilson is a great one, especially for parents of newly diagnosed um, children, because that can be a very helpful one. Um, there's also um, a fairly new book out, um, which I have ordered and I shall be reading this week, but it's interesting to hear because it's from an actual autistic person and it's called um, On the Spectrum by uh, Daniel Bowman Jr. And Mm. he's an autistic man and he's written a series of essays, really, like memoirs on what um, his faith and journey and how his gifts are used in his church setting and how that looks like for somebody on the spectrum. Fantastic. Well, we'll uh, put those in the bottom of the podcast. Sophie, thank you so much uh, for joining us today. Absolutely fascinating insight into what is evidently uh, a really difficult time for you, but also great that you're able to show uh, God's love to your kids and to the wider church. And we pray uh, that you'll be able to to serve others through that you're you're talking about uh, your experiences. So thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, If you've enjoyed the podcast, do rate uh, and review it so other people can find it uh, and we'll speak to you again soon.